Hey everybody, Janice here from This Woman Can. I am still on vacation, but I thought it'd be a great opportunity to share some of the interviews I've done with fabulous women, some of the over 100 women I've interviewed so far. So this week I'm going to reshare my interview with the fabulous, wonderful Carol Sankar. Enjoy. Hey everybody and welcome to this week's edition of This Woman Can. Now with everything that's going on uh, right now, I am a little bit out of sorts, I'll be honest. Um, I told myself that mentally I'm pretty good. Um, I feel well, you know, everything's fine. I'm at home, I already work from home and work remotely anyway, so I don't have that issue. And I've been telling myself I'm okay, but in reality, um, I'm a little bit discombobulated and I can see that by maybe the way I'm working or not working or how I'm finding it challenging to get myself into the swing of things. Plus, my husband's actually travelling overseas in the UK right now. So there's the uncertainty of, well, will he get back? Uh, will he be able to get back with all the borders closing and things like that? So I decided to let's distract myself a little bit let me throw myself into work and edit this week's um, interview and my interview this week is with Carol Sankar let me give Carol her full introduction her proper introduction I want to recognize how fabulous this lady is Carol is a high-level consultant and the founder of the confidence factor for women in leadership she has been featured in TEDx the Steve Harvey Show, The Today Show, Columbia Business School, The United Way, and so much more. And in addition, her work has been covered by Inc. Magazine, Glamour, O Magazine, Forbes, Harvard, Entrepreneur Magazine, just to name but a few. She's also contributed for Inc. and Entrepreneur Magazine. So as you can see, she's a very accomplished woman. And the biggest accomplishment for me is that she helped me with my fangirl moment because I really admire the work she's doing. And um, we met in Trinidad at a women's conference and we hit it off. And so I'm grateful she took some time out of a busy schedule to do this interview with me. And if I'm honest, this is the interview I really need to hear right now i didn't even realize i needed this kind of energy right now and it was very fitting because without giving too much away she talks about her journey from corporate to entrepreneurship how she utilized her skills um, how she you know how she developed her plan b and with all that's going on there's some really really useful information within this interview so without further ado, I am going to go straight into the interview. I would love to hear your feedback and what you think because I really enjoyed it. It definitely lifted my spirit so much so that I had to let her know that I didn't know I needed this energy right now. So I hope it does the same for you and I look forward to hear, hearing from you. Take care. Hi everybody and my guest this week is Carol Sankar from the US, but by way of Trinidad and Tobago. She is a real estate investor, keynote speaker, best-selling author and writer, advisor, and the founder of the Confidence Fact for Women in Leadership, an executive firm for women leaders. She is a well-regarded leadership contributor for Inc. and Entrepreneur, and she's an all-round phenomenal woman. Carol, welcome to This Woman Can. 
Hello, and thank you for having me. You're welcome. You're welcome. So, Carol, so tell us about your journey and how you got to where you are today. Sure. So um, I relocated from uh, New York initially to North Carolina. And when I got to North Carolina, I realized that I needed something to nourish my mental soul and my um I couldn't do the Elmo thing. I couldn't watch cartoons any longer. I could not be a stable <laughs> mother in that regard. It's a beautiful thing to hear your child, but it's hard when you know that you are filled with so much morphous yeah. and you can figure out a way to balance. So I got involved in real estate initially as a way to, as a segment out of corporate America to be able to have more flexibility financially and have a little bit more of my own control of my own time. Subsequently, I invested in a property here and there, just kind of, you know, loosely. And I started making money from it. And I said, okay, I think I figured out what I can do that will incorporate child and yeah. incorporate my profession and my mental soul because I felt like I wasn't being fed. And subsequently, things just started to really take off. I started getting more properties. And mind you, I didn't start with a lot of money. I didn't have a lot of money. Um, my husband was the, the sole provider the diapers and the milk and this and the other. So I started with a little $2,000 US here and a little bit of, you know, $500 there. And eventually we built a huge portfolio of assets. And then that's when I knew that this was my calling um, because I would get excited about it. I wanted to do it every day. And mind you, I had this little four month old baby who subsequently grew a little older and got a little taller. Like they do, like they do. <laughs> and I took him to every job like they do. And I took him to every job site. I took him to every construction site. I took him to every permit meeting. Like I got him incorporated into the business. So he became <laughs> like the prop. Everybody was like, where's Ryan? And that business grew because <laughs> everybody looked for the kid because they were like, he's going to be playing with some cars in the background. I'm like, yeah. this is my life. My life is I can be in the boardroom, but this little kid is going to be with me everywhere I go. I don't have any nannies. I don't have anybody taking care of him and I don't want any. Right. And as that business grew and my son started to grow and it kind of evolved from there. So then I incorporated the two into the two worlds and that journey has taken me a lot of places and done a lot of things to me. And uh, it gave me the ability to meet you and, you know, subsequent from that. So that's how we got started. Excellent. Excellent. So Carol, I've had the, I've been fortunate to hear, hear you speak, which has been fantastic. But you have, um, you have a bit of a journey. Is that the corporate journey? Was that before you had children or after you had children? The corporate journey was bef way before. Um, I always say that I, I'm a corporate dropout at the age of 26. Right. So um, I had a very short but long journey in law firm America uh, from the ages of probably 18. I think I had my first internship when I was about 18 and I met my husband. Well, my boy, my boo, my boyfriend. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, um, I can get, we can plug him. He's listening. <laughs> I met my boo, <laughs> um, at, I think I was 21 and I met him at work. Literally. Okay. I went, I went in his, his, I went to his job one day and he was flirting with me. And back in those days, Janice, I'm going to, I'm going to age us. He gave oh. me his beeper number. Oh my gosh. <laughs> gave me his beeper number. And I paged him. I don't and know what he, you're talking about. Honestly, <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> you know, we didn't always have smartphones. So he gave me yeah. his pager number and I paged him and he called me back from a, I'm going to also age myself again, a payphone. And so... <laughs> 
that's the journey of how I even got to this level is like, I, I, I went into corporate America knowing, I, I, I'm not going to lie to you. I definitely think from the day I entered the doors of corporate America, I knew I wasn't going to have a long tenure. But I didn't know how to explain it to anyone, what I was going through. Because when you come from our backgrounds and you're Caribbean and you're taught, get a yes. good job yes. and, and get benefits and don't, don't try to go and, and do anything and, you know, settle up. Like I have been nurtured and taught and um, I've been convinced I, ha I have been harboring this feeling of regret over not wanting to be in corporate America. And that was a really hard thing to tell people that I don't think I'm going to have a long journey here. Yeah. And when you have a, an entire family of overachievers and everybody has a good job <laughs> and you're thinking to yourself, why can't I understand how to settle? Um, the journey began at a time when I, I, was, I was thinking entrepreneurship from my 20s. Right. And so it was hard to really explain it to people where everyone in my family retired from some job and I just didn't have it in me. And so the journey started from probably the time I was 17. Right, right. So what was that? What was the, the defining factor that made you change from corporate to entrepreneurship? I'm getting laid off. <laughs> oh, yeah, <that'll> do it. <laughs> getting laid off. Um, so, and I'll explain the story as best I can. I left law firm America from, uh, because I was uh, upset about a job that I had. And I interviewed for uh, a, a legal position with the largest credit card company in the world. Many people do have them in their wallet and they offered me a very nice package an onboarding package. And I loved it and everything was great. But the day that I started, I started to see the writing on the wall. Right. And there were some issues. And if you've ever worked in a legal capacity, it is not a profit making institution. So you have to always find ways to cut costs um, because it's always about litigation. It's always about some manner of something that went wrong. And at this time, I'm in the middle of law school. Right. And um, the, the, the company that I was working for, I had seen this is another way I'm going to age myself. I saw a fax <laughs> come through the fax machine. <laughs> doing everything to age myself. So I saw a fax come through the facsimile machine and I picked it up and it had the quarterly numbers. Now, I had only been there three months. And when I saw the quarterly numbers, our department was underperforming and I knew something was about to happen. I mean, it was severely underperforming. They had salary ratios on that report. They had, mm -hmm. um, uh, mistakes on that report, um, how many auditors they've had to call in to correct mistakes, things like that. And I knew something was wrong. And one day, um, my supervisor, who was training me for her job, asked me to go to lunch. And we went to this fancy schmancy restaurant. And she said, if I were you, I'd start sending out resumes. Right. I said, but I just got here. I'm not, I haven't even gone through full training yet. She's like, if I were you, <laughs> I yeah. would start sending out resumes. And I didn't understand, she wouldn't get to the point. She wasn't, she couldn't, I mean, by law, she yeah, couldn't say exactly yeah. what was going on, but she was telling me something. And I says, I just asked, I says, are you? She says, I've been doing it. So if I were you, um, I would take every dime I can while they're giving it and I'll be sending out resumes. So if you see some free time during your lunch hour or something like that, find a way to send out some resumes. Right. right. And when she said that to me, I knew that the writing was on the wall, but I had gotten so accustomed to the salary. I was making so much money and I'm in my twenties and 
I had told everybody I, I made it. And so yeah. about a month after she said that to me, these guys come from Wall Street that I had seen when I actually first interviewed with, the, with this particular company. And I'd never seen them again. And you could smell the Armani on them. You could smell the high-end Gucci belt. You could smell the Hermes. I could smell it. I smell money. Yeah. And they had no reason to be there. And I knew something was wrong. And they came twice. And the third time they came, they offered us um, donuts and coffee. And one thing you don't want to do with a girl like me is you don't want to offer me coffee because I'm a coffee addict. Mm. But I knew that this coffee was for a reason. Right. And they came in the room and they fed us well and they said something to the effect of after careful review. Oh. And I don't remember anything they said after that. I'd, yeah. I'd like, it, it was like a flat line in my ears. I heard, Doo! and I remember they laid us all off the same wow. time. And for me, I, I, I had already started my entrepreneurial journey in some way on the down low, but for most of the people I watched that while this layoff was going on, they had been there for 10, 15, 20 years. So all of wow. their, their capacity, they yeah. hadn't they know how to do anything else. All they knew yeah. how to do was intellectual property law and compliance. They were not mm. lawyers. Many of them didn't know what else. I remember this one guy passed out. He says, what am I going to do? I just refinanced my effing house. <laughs> and the guy was like, I, I don't know what to tell you, but, um, yeah you know, this is it. And uh, I was thankful that that particular supervisor took me to lunch three months earlier to give me a warning. She didn't, she couldn't give me a clear warning, but she gave me the warning I needed. So yeah. I took it up a notch in my business. And I was thankful that when they laid us off, I had already started making my plan B because yeah. I didn't like the feeling of being disposable because yeah. that was my that was my wake up call. That's what I needed. I, it was like, I was getting comfortable. I'm making a very cushy salary, but I needed the the I needed to know that I could be disposable and I needed to create my own economy where I never could be disposed of ever again. And that's what right. I did. Right. Right. So that's like, that sounds like a really big challenge at a pretty young age and you bounce back successfully from that. But, yeah. but when you, when you face challenges or, or should I say, <laughs> what has been your biggest challenge to date and how did you manage to get past that? I think my biggest challenge to date, um, was learning how to be vulnerable in public. I know that okay. sounds odd, okay. but I don't, I'm, I'm not good at it. I am, I am, I'm not a perfectionist, but I am a person who I keep my personal life to my person and I keep my public life to the public. Yeah. yeah. And, and, uh, and I know I shared this with you guys um, in, when we met in Trinidad, when my father died, that was my first time having to be vulnerable in public. I had to learn how to let it out because yeah. it was like, the biggest challenge I'd ever faced was I thought I could prepare for death. I thought I was that invincible because when my grandparents died, who those were the people who raised me, um, I, I was prepared. I was well choreographed. I knew when it was going to happen. I had the suit prepared. You know, I was, yes, yes. I was debonair. I knew what was, because my grandfather had been in a nursing home for about five years. So as his con condition started to deteriorate, I started to get ready. My grandmother, same thing. So I was ready. Right. But this one was like a, a Saturday afternoon shock. So now, and mind you, not only did my father die at a time when I was extremely busy, Janice, I had like 85 speaking engagements back to back. Wow. And I had to learn how people can actually either be very cruel or very nice right. at a time when you don't know. 
what you should be expecting. So people adhere to some of my, um, some people were very demonic about it. It was like, how dare you? And then some people were very open about it, like, I'll support you. And I wasn't grieving in that way, but I had to learn how to be vulnerable. And I think that that was my biggest challenge to date is to learn that it's okay to say what you're going through and yes. let people support you as best they can, if they know how, and how to create boundaries. Because until my father's death, I didn't think, I don't think I had any. I yeah. let people talk to me anytime they wanted to. Wow. And at that moment, I realized I needed boundaries because a strange example of something that happened. So my father dies January in April, I was in Tennessee and this lady calls me and she starts chatting off about when her father died. Now I don't want to hear about this right now. I'm not right. there. Yeah. But she used it as a moment to, and I don't know you understand this to pick my brain because I'm vulnerable. And um, wow. it was it was my it was a very disrespectful moment for me, and I had to let her know what you what she had done was try to get me to cry so she could do what she needed to do. Wow! And I'm a person I'm very aware of where I stand. You know, yeah. I'm, just because I'm going through something doesn't doesn't mean that I don't know where I stand. And so I had to be able to redirect the conversation from the tears back to, oh, oh I'm in business, honey. I don't, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we don't cross those kinds of boundaries. So I think that's the biggest barrier I've had to face ever. I, other than that, I've never really had anything major to face. And I had tried to keep it private as long as I could, but I knew yeah. that people, people could tell my demeanor had changed during that time. And I had to be open about it and I had to talk about it. And that's two big things you picked up on there because I suppose vulnerability and boundaries are very topical when it comes to women. You have yeah. Renee Brown obviously talking about being vulnerable. Uh, we're taught as, I suppose, now there's a move for leaders to have a level of vulnerability or to show that side of them where before we were always, you know, I suppose taught or educated in a leadership school um, not, to, not to show that. And then there's yeah. boundaries. And I think I do some of the work I've done. Some of the women I find find it extremely difficult to create those boundaries across their life, from children to work to those around them. What are the biggest tips mm -hmm. you could give to 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 someone listening about how to create um, healthy boundaries themselves? Sure, I think the the first thing you have to identify is what you don't want. Right. So how, what you don't want, do you like people speaking to you in this manner? Do you like people invading your privacy after this time? Like you have to identify what you don't want. So I started to define my boundaries by the things that I don't want. I want to be defined as this, defined as that. So once you learn what you don't want, you start creating a list of the things that people have to do in order to get access to you. And it's not just about business. It also could be in your real life. Like I was talking about recently, the main thing I always have had a problem with is, you know, I, although I'm Trinidadian, I grew up in Brooklyn yeah. and people in New York sometimes tend to call you by a letter instead of your name. And people will call me C in public. I'm like, look, that's, here's the boundary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In private, you can call me whatever you want, but in public, yeah. <laughs> we're not going to do that. Okay. Just want you to make sure you understand. Keep that in Brooklyn. But you see when I out here in the street, don't do that. Don't do, keep that's my boundary. <laughs> right. So I know the thing that I don't want. So I'm very right. clear about that. So the first thing women have to do is be very clear about what they don't want. The next thing is to identify if the boundary is really something that's important to you. Right. So let me just take it back to my father, for instance. 
I didn't think that that should be a boundary. I thought that should be an unknown, an expectation. Don't say certain things to me. Like I, I thought, but you have to remember, don't think for people. So if it, how important is that thing to you? And how important is it for you to be in that moment? How important is it for you to live in that moment? How important is it for you to be able to have that? Is it something that's pre- preventing productivity or profitability? Whatever it is, how important is that thing to you? And then the last thing is to make sure you create some type of a catalyst for people to know you have that boundary. Right. So I'm a person who's very vocal. I'm a person who's very belligerently honest. And I even say it in anywhere I go, if I do any public anything, I say I'm very open, very honest. And sometimes you may not be able to take my mouth. And if that's a problem, now is the best time for you to walk out. Just so that we're very clear. Right. Because I think with women, we, what we tend to do is we're so worried about being liked. Yes. And we're so, we're so worried about validation and other people's acceptance of us that we don't put it out there. What we do is we loosen up the boundary because we want people to understand us and like us and magnetize themselves toward us. Right. But that's not always the way you have to do things. So be upfront about it and be very blunt, belligerent. And if that's something that is is a non-negotiable for you, don't let it be something that you negotiate just to be able to get an applause. Yeah, totally agree. Totally agree with you there. Totally agree with you there. And you talked about being very open, belligerently honest. I love it. And um, anybody who's followed you on social media would see that you're... Well, my interpretation, what I see when I see on social media, you're a very driven, focused, goal-orientated woman. So, but... From that, and that always looks you obviously always look very successful. It comes across, it comes across very strongly. But how has failure made a positive difference in your life? Because I don't like poverty. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> I don't like poverty. <laughs> so I failed before, and I don't like how I feel. So you just changed the matrix. I hear that. So when you don't like something, you don't drive yourself toward it. I can't, let me tell you something. I remember some years ago when I was a little bit more open to being an everything to everyone. I remember this lady, because I'm a woman of faith, but I'm not ultra religious. I I need a little bit of faith because I, I have, you know, my own issues. But she was in this church that I happened to frequent. And she was doing this coupon cutting class. We'll never forget it. And I went because I thought, oh, this would be great to learn a new skill on how to save money and da, 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 da. And I looked and you can see how people reduce the size of their lives to fit their current situation. Right. Yeah. I'm not going to take two, three hours to be looking through magazines to look for a coupon to save 60 cents on meat when... I could just find a way to earn 60 cents more. Yeah, yeah. So with that in mind, I may look one way on social media, but here's the thing. I remember what it felt like to be poor. And, that's a and, <laughs> and that's I don't, a very strong and, driver. Yeah, and if you don't want to go back to where you've come yeah. or where you come from, and if you don't want to go back to a certain situation, that coupon cutting class gave me a reminder because it was a whole bunch of women, yes, celebrating the fact that they're going to sit for two hours cutting. Girl, I ain't cutting no blasted coupon. I'm just not doing it. Because the thing is, what we as women have adopted ourselves to believe is that money is in short supply. 
No, drive is in short supply. Money is always being made 24 hours a day in every country in the world. It is never in short supply, but drive is. You know, people's ability to get up in the morning and make their own economy, that is in short supply because people's confidence is in short supply. So once I figured out that, hey, I'm not going back to the life that I came from, and I'm not going back to the country that I came from, and I'm not going back to a a time that I had my most, um, the the most amount of grief. And and I don't mean just grief from that standpoint, just just times of of hardships. If I'm not going to go back to that, then Carol, get up in the morning and work strategically every day to make your life the best life possible. Manifest it in the best way possible. Do not reduce the the size of your dream based on today's reality. And I have never done it and I refuse to do it. Yeah, yeah. And that's one thing that some some of us forget is that you are in control. You know, Mm. you, you have choices. You can make that choice. You said you can make that choice to fit into the coupon cut, coupon cutting gang. Mm -hmm. Or yes. you could just get them and say, okay, that's not really the way I want to spend two hours, 60 cents a month for 60 cents. That's not right. really a, good, a good use of my time. Let me right. find something that will actually give me more and, and save my fingers with those scissors. <laughs> exactly. And save my time. You know how much energy it takes yes. to actually, the same energy it takes to save 60 cents is the same energy to make 60 grand. So why would I not go out and do something that can make me 60 grand or 60 million as opposed to saving 60 cents? Because I hate to say this and I I mean, no way of judgment, but when you go to the grocery, who's the only person that's giving up coupons? It's only women. Yeah. It is not, it is not successful men. And my thing is you do it. You've, you've taken all of that time to reduce your life, to say you saved a dime, but the quality, quality of your life is not up to your standard. Here we go with the boundary again. Yeah. You don't even realize you've crossed a boundary in your own life to save a dollar when all you had to do was work smarter during that two hours you spent and you would have earned triple that, quadruple that, 2,000 times that yeah. by simply yeah. creating your own economy. Yeah, and, and you mentioned confidence there and obviously you have the confidence factor for women. So how do you personally navigate confidence issues? Or should I say if you have them? Um, but, you know, but how do you navigate confidence issues and get out of that cycle? I have, these, I have a lot of talks with Carol in specific yeah. quiet places. Yeah. I remind yeah. Carol how far she's come. I remind her how great she is. I remind her that success is limitless. I remind her every day that money is never in short supply. I have to consistently remind her. I'm human, yeah. um, but I have to have consistent talks with Carol. I have to pat Carol on the back and then celebrate her for the yeah. things that she has done. Um, and if I don't do that, you know, that, that level of fear, it, I don't care how successful you become, it does creep up on you. Yes. It, it, you know, it's, it's the evil angel versus the good angel and the yeah. evil angel happens to be loud. And so you always have to keep yourself accountable. And some people I think always talk about keeping great people around you, but wait a minute, you got to watch the messages that you yes. feed yourself first. Yes. That's the reason I don't watch television. That's the reason I don't watch the news. That's, there's a lot of things I don't do intentionally so that the conversations that Carol has with Carol can remind Carol how brilliant she is and to keep it going and to keep that fuel going and to keep that purpose and that mission going. So what I do to Carol a lot is remind Carol how far she's come. 
I remind her she's the first. And I always remind her, you're the first in your family to do this. You're, the fir- you're setting a precedent for your children, your future grandchildren, your future great-grandchildren, because you have done that. You're leaving this legacy in this world. Like, I have to keep doing that so that I can remind Carol how great she is. Because if I look for outside validation, people yeah. will tell me what I want to hear because they either like me or have been in my space. I don't need that. I need authentic validation from myself. To remind myself that every single day that I'm important, that if I can get up in the morning, because I always remind people, remind yourself that you woke up today, but somebody didn't. Somebody made great Mm. plans today, but didn't wake up to do them. So now you have to use the fuel you have, which is confidence, to get out there and make the day. Because I think what women consider is they think about the year. We think about the fluff. We think about the logo. We think about, we're thinking too far ahead. Hey, think about the next hour. Because someone went to bed last night and didn't wake up this morning. You have this opportunity and you're worried about perfection and you're not celebrating the things that you have done and the things you have brought to the market. So I remind Carol every single day, I have to have these talks with her, whether it's in the car, sometimes in the closet. (laughs) sometimes you know I have conversations with Carol everywhere I can and sometimes and look this is part of the vulnerability thing I cry I'm human the other day I was in my my car I'm buying a new house right now I haven't even started to pack lord that's another journey in itself (laughs) and I already the, the everything is already everything is in place just waiting to get my closing date And I remember just thinking to myself, my grandparents didn't even do what I'm doing. Mm. I remember just thinking to myself, it's, it's not my dream, dream house, but it's, it's the second best next to my dream house. My dream house is coming. It's just not in this location. And I have to wait till my son is finished with school, but look how far you've come since you've made a decision. Mm. So I'm in the the parking lot of the kid's school and I'm trying not to cry in front of these rich people with their Teslas. And I turned my head (laughs) and I was like, Carol, celebrate yourself. And I had to remind myself. <laughs> Turn my head so that nobody else could see me. And then I act like I'm on my phone, but nobody knows I'm crying yeah. Yeah. because it's happening. And the thing is, I think we don't celebrate ourselves often enough. What we yeah. do is we celebrate someone else. Yes. We celebrate yeah. the other person. And you give yourself no credit, so you think you're a failure. Yeah. You don't celebrate the little things like the, uh, you know, look, you cooked a piece of chicken last night. Celebrate that you didn't burn down the house. Like, celebrate the small things. So when you get the big things, you really appreciate them that much more. Yeah. So that's how I build my own confidence. Every and, day. and I love you said that because what I'm hearing there is, being, is self-advocacy. Because yes. one of the challenges, I suppose, one of the challenges I have, and I suppose my, 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 one of my little bugbears is when mm-hmm. women, when I see successful women, they tell me how humble they are and this is level of humility and they just downplay their success. And I'm like, wow, why, you know, why are you downplaying what you've done? You've done phenomenally well. You know, yeah. if you don't talk about it and you're downplaying, you're downplaying it, it makes me feel like you're not proud of what you've achieved. Yet, in conversely, mm-hmm. a man would have no compunction about shouting from the rooftops mm-hmm. how brilliant I am. So, you know, I want kind of, I want to change that narrative that, you know, it's not being, it's not bragging or being boastful because obviously we're obviously taught to be demure and not talk about what we've achieved and, you know, you know, keep it quiet how far you've come. So, so I hear a strong, a strong uh, support there of self-advocacy. I have to, because I, I think I'm, as an only child, I've, 
I've always had to do for me. I have a lot of cousins. I have a huge family, but I am an only kid. Yeah. So I think I didn't have a brother or sister around to say good job. Yeah. My mother was too busy. My mother worked from 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. So she couldn't say that. Um, so I had to learn how to celebrate me a lot. And at the older I got, I accepted that humility and I am humble, yeah. but I do have to brag. And the reason I think it's important is because you will not realize how far you've come until yes. you acknowledge how far you've come. And what we tend to do is, you're right, we do tend to downplay and like, oh, no, that's, that's nothing. You know, we yeah. do a lot of that. And you're right, men do brag and they brag for longer periods of time where we, we really do mute ourselves to go into rooms and we play small. Yeah. And that level of shrinkage really tends to uh, hinder us from becoming leaders. And exactly what you're talking about as far as bragging, I wrote an article about that in the new year. And people gave me flack for that because I said, you want to be more successful in 2020? Yeah. Brag yeah. more. Yeah. Because people are not going to know that you have done these things unless you talk about it. Yeah. If you're waiting for someone on the outside to give you credit for the things you've done, I'm here to time. give you the warning shot. It's yeah. not going to happen. Yeah, you it's went a long, long time. It's going to take a long time. Yes, yeah. And I'm with you. I'm definitely with you on that, you know, because no one can advocate for you better than you. No one. You know, no, no one, one no one knows the journey you've been on to get to where you got to. And I don't exactly. want anybody diluting my story. Do you know how hard I have to work for this? <laughs> it doesn't come easy. <laughs> not yes. at all. Not at all. Not at all. So, it, so Carol, if you had to start from scratch, knowing what you know now, what would you do differently? Hmm. I would... I would have made faster decisions okay. in the beginning. I think I spent a lot of time trying to please people right. because I was worried about what people thought. And so I second guessed a lot of my decisions early in my life and mostly in business. I think I, I second guessed a lot. I, I was looking for people to, um, to validate me. I was looking for people to qualify me. And I think the main thing I would do different if I had to have that version of myself back is I would hit myself in the head and say, go for it. Right. Because I, I used to take, I remember when I, when I first got involved in real estate, real estate is a fast paced moving thing. You see a deal and someone says, this is a deal. You got 10 minutes to make a decision. I don't have overnight. This is not your personal home. This is a, a deal that might be fetched mm. out to a thousand people. So you've got to be able to, you know, put your claws in it first. And I remember so many times having great deals on my desk that people could not find no. and just wait, let me think about it. Wait, let me do, but let me research a little bit. Oh my gosh, I can't get there till tomorrow. And I, I did a lot of that. So yeah. the, the thing that I regret, uh, and I won't regret, it's a, it was a learning lesson. Make your decisions fast. And that's every decision. That's even when you're hiring staff and you're growing up the ladder. Make yeah. fast decisions and then find a way to back yourself back out of it if that happens later on. But you have to make fast decisions. Right. As fast as you can. Excellent. 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 And what advice would you give to your teenage self then? Ooh, girl. Yeah. <laughs> I'm waiting for this one. <laughs> yeah. 
if I may be so blunt, my teenage self, my teenage days were hard, but they were good. Yeah. I had fun. I rolled joints. I smoked things. I, I partied. I was a dance hall queen. I remember I went to Jamaica and I wasn't supposed to go, but grandmother find out. My grandmother meet me in JFK airport. And meet me. What? I had fun. Because <laughs> right, back in those days, you could take a birth certificate and travel. So I That's right. You, I you were ready. I was ready. And I heard Stone Love and, and Addis was going to be in Portmore, and I went. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I went. I had fun. My teenage self, one of the things I'm going to tell that teenage version of Carol was to never follow the crowd. That yeah. girl was imitating everybody else's behavior except her own. Right. That girl was a pure imitation. She had imposter syndrome bad. That girl was a mess. And that's the reason why I tried a little bit of everything because everybody else was doing it. Right. And my grandmother would do the, well, everybody was jumping off of a bridge, yeah. which you would do. <laughs> I, had my, <laughs> I had fun. But in the other respect, I imitated a lot. So this is so odd that you asked me this question because now some of the people I grew up with in high school now follow me on certain social media platforms and they can't believe this is the same person. Because they're like, wait a minute, weren't you the one that rolled like four blunts a day? Yeah, I did that because I was with you. Yeah. But I did, that wasn't who I was. I was just trying to keep you as a friend and so that, if that keeping you as a friend meant that I had to lower my standard to be in your company, that's what yeah. I did. Yeah. I was a straight A student, but I was, I was a kid who, and, and just being falsely accused of being a fraud because you know how hard it is to be in a new country. Yes. The language sounds different, but I grew right. up in a West Indian area of New York City. So I didn't have that issue there. It was when I went to school and went to school yeah. with more Americanized people. Yeah. And they'd be like, you talk funny. You smell funny. Yeah. You act funny. You listen. Yeah. What music is that? What's a dance hall? What's color? I don't know. And you yeah. struggle yeah. with that. So every yeah. day you find a way to meet who you are. Yeah. in order for you to become who they expect you to be. Yeah. So the advice I would give to the teenage version of myself or any teenager, whoo, don't follow the crowd. Yeah. It does yeah. not pay because I spent many years trying to redact myself from that and letting people know that that wasn't who I really was. I was just doing that to please other people yeah. so I could be accepted. And then when I grew out of it and people are like shocked, I'm like, you know, I really wasn't that person anyway. Yeah. I was really reading the New York Times after I, I drank with you. <laughs> Nobody knew that. <laughs> I really wasn't that girl. I, yeah. I was really just playing a role because I didn't know where I fit in. And yeah. I, 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 I don't regret it, but I, I definitely look at my teenage self a lot differently now. And that's yeah. why I probably raise my son differently. I'm like, don't follow the crowd, sweetheart. Trust me. Yeah. I paid my dues in that regard. So. Yeah, yeah. And I can empathize with that because I'm... Growing up in the UK, but I was the we were the first black family on our street, and so yeah. we were I suppose in air quotes exotic. And why yes. does your and why does your hair look like that? And exactly. you know, and 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 I, and I wrote a piece about spending trying trying so hard to be invisible because of all the mm. questions, but being very visible. You yeah. know, and and like you say, you're trying to adapt and find your way. And then, and then when you move, you know, you're kind of stepping two worlds and 
trying, try, just literally trying to find your own identity. And it's definitely exactly. a challenge. And, and for anybody listening to this, for any woman listening to this, it doesn't always happen when you think it's going to happen. Sometimes it just, it just happens. happens yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah, it happens when it's supposed to. Exactly. Yes. I believe yeah. that. Yeah, and you suddenly realise, wow, this is what was meant. You know, let's stop fighting. Let me just go with it and see where this goes. Yeah, yeah. I, I like I said, I, re- I don't regret my teenage yeah. years. I had fun. Yeah. I can now say I have done everything I had set out to do as far as fun, but I didn't do them my way. I yes. did it everyone else's way, and I should have let it happen the way it was supposed to happen. Yeah. Um, and you're so right. It's like I think we're hard on ourselves about that. Um, and I was hard on myself in my teenage days, but I, I, I will not lie. I not only did I have fun, I don't regret having that level of yes. fun because now I look at it and I say, I lived a full life. Yeah. yeah. You know, I lived, I did everything I said I should have done. Yeah. And so now even if my son acts up, I'm like, man, you're supposed to do that. <laughs> you're supposed to. <laughs> you're supposed to. Because I think that, you know, teenagers... And, be, and being a parent, I think we, our parenting style is all about our ego. We want things to brag about our children to other people too. Yeah. Not to yeah. say that your children have ever gotten into anything. They yeah. got to get into a little something. I'm not yeah. saying the bad stuff, but it's about our, we like for our children to be pristine in the company yeah. of others. Yeah. Instead of, yeah. hey, my child is trying a little something right now. Sorry <laughs> about that. He's not available. <laughs> <laughs> Going through <laughs> yeah. Come back to me later. He'll be. We'll, we'll, we'll get right. <laughs> exactly. He's trying a little something because guess what? He is a byproduct of a woman who's trying a little something. So yeah. he's trying a little something. He'll be back with you shortly. Fabulous, fabulous, fabulous. So I love that. Thanks for that, Carol. So <laughs> you're still on this journey. You're still on your success journey. Um, mm-hmm. You're still working. You're still striving. But what has been your biggest triumph to date? Do you think? My biggest triumph to date. I I think my biggest triumph to date is I'm going to take it to the speaking market. I never wanted to be a speaker. Right. Never. Um, if you had, I can, if I could find someone with a VHS uh, tape recorder, I have my eighth grade or so it was a seventh standard um, commencement speech. Boy, I looked down on that paper so hard. I was sweating <laughs> and on this pure white dress <laughs> and I was reading from the paper, would not look up at the crowd and you would have not seen this for me ever. So my yeah. biggest triumph to date was facing that level of fear. Even in, in college, I, yeah. I, we had to take public speaking in, in university and I avoided that thing like the plague. I remember right before I graduated undergraduate, I had gotten into a car accident. I think I got the car accident in May. No, in March. And I, oh Lord, I hope he's not listening. I had to give a presentation about cricket because if anybody knows me, I am a big Premier League fanatic, Manchester United, for the rest of my life. And I, I love me some rugby and I love cricket. Okay. So... I grew up, that's the environment. My grandfather played cricket all of our lives. Right, so we would right. get up every, from Friday to Sunday, you know, a cricket game don't end yeah. for like 85 days. Yeah. So I had to give a geography presentation about um, the Premier League. Right. <laughs> and I had the accident. And for a month, I played it off like my leg was broken. 
I can walk everywhere else except for the ge geography class because <laughs> I didn't want to give this presentation. <laughs> so I bought, and look, I could, I could lie now, but it's, it's true. I went to the pharmacy and I bought one of those knee brace things and I wore it over my pants yeah. intentionally for him not to call my, my name. Yeah. So when it came time, I had to do slides and the whole nine yards. And I remember I, I talked to him. I was like, you know, I got in this accident and my leg got torn. Not, mind you, the accident was bad, but it, my leg was nowhere near. The, it was my arm. And so I was like, my leg got torn. I'm having such a hard time standing up in front of a crowd. <laughs> so he allowed me to do the presentation in front of him only. Just so I didn't have to endure the quote unquote pain. So the biggest triumph to date was that the girl who would run from every public speaking uh, speech yeah. is the girl who speaks in front of tens of thousands of people today. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that, that level of getting over that hump that I, here's the thing, and this is where I think leadership is a huge thing. When you convince yourself you're not good at something, you don't do it. Mm -hmm. And I convinced myself for many years that I wouldn't be able to do it. I don't know how to do it. I can't speak in front of a crowd. What if they laugh at me? Da, 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 da. And I, yeah. I, I had this way of convincing myself I wasn't good at something. And imagine the first time I'd ever done it was completely by accident. It was a real estate meeting. And they asked me at the last minute to stand up and just give a talk about something. And I did it. And I figured this was just some colleagues. It's not a big thing. Then you do it again and again mm. and again, and the audience gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And the next thing you know, you don't even feel that message you felt before. I didn't yeah. even feel nervous. I didn't feel scared. And then people start paying you for this stuff. <laughs> you're like, oh, oh, you're good at this, right? <laughs> so my biggest triumph to date was literally getting rid of the voice that told myself that I could not do it. Excellent. I could not stand up in front of an audience. I could not make an impact. I could not yeah. possibly have an impactful career or lineage or legacy in front of people and the thing is it happens to be the thing i enjoy doing the most excellent excellent and i've got to love a woman with conviction because that knee brace was taken to the next level you do realize that <laughs> <laughs> um we could share stories we're going to do that off air so <laughs> so Karen, so Karen, I'm coming to the end of the last few couple of questions now. Sure. So what are the three things you've learned about yourself during your career? Mm -hmm. Things I learned about myself that I, I learned, number one, um, that it's okay to be honest. Yes. Don't lie. And when I say don't lie, don't lie. Don't do the I'll think about it thing. It's either mm. yes or no. One of my best friends is from South Africa. And I remember when she was telling me one time, she says in her native language, I forgot which part of South Africa, but she said in her native language, there's no such thing as maybe. It's okay. yes or no. Right. So there's no way to say, let me think about it. You know, so the biggest things I've learned is to say what you mean and mean what you say. Yeah. Um, the next thing I've learned is to not beat myself up for a decision I've made. Right. So if I said no, don't go back and then start thinking about yes. it and contemplating about it. it yeah. You said no for a reason. Let yeah. it go. I've also learned uh, walk away from people as fast as you can. The thing is, I think as women, we nurture relationships that are unhealthy in various capacities, be it personal or professional. And in professional businesses, what we do is we anticipate that things will get better. If they start out bad, they will stay bad. You have to end relationships as fast as you can. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
and end them with a full period, like bam, it's just over. Yes. Um, there are people who are in your life right now who are not going to help you get to the next level. And you have to unapologetically not explain yourself, but end mm-hmm. the relationship or mm-hmm. put them in a category that they fit in. So for example, I am a hair fanatic and I'm a car fanatic. I love cars. Any, there's not a car that Honda or Acura can make that I won't, don't either have or am not going to buy. <laughs> From the 87 Integra <laughs> to today's TLX, I have them all. So I have people that are in my life because of my love of cars, right. not because of me. Yeah. So yeah. it's either you're out of my life or you're in my life for the category I need you for. So for the category I need you for, if you're in the category of friends and you're in the car category, that's the only category you're allowed to talk to me about. You're not allowed to come out of that category and talk to me about my business. Right. You are my friend for the Acura. That's what we do. That's, yeah. that's the only thing we're friends for. Women have to know, don't cross that boundary. If you're in a category, yeah. stay in your category. Yeah. Um, that's the thing. The next thing that I've learned, and I'd say the, the biggest lesson that I have learned and the biggest lesson I would love to teach women is to simply let it go. Say that again for the people at the back. <laughs> simply <laughs> let it go. Let it go. The self-sabotaging behaviors, let it go. The guilt, let it go. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, the lack of manifestation on your dreams. The, the guilt behind doing well. That's why when you ask me about, um, you know, it, it, how do I show up? I let yes. the feeling go of trying to be humble. Let it go. Yeah. Let yeah. go of people's opinions of you. Let it go. Like let anything that doesn't serve a bigger purpose for you, let it go. Let it go. It's a process, but if you don't go through the process, you will never get success. Mm. You got to let mm. it go. Let go of some, some, you know what I, I, I struggle with women. Some some of them won't come on camera before the makeup is done. Let oh that gosh. go. Yes. Yeah. Beating up your face <laughs> with 15 layers of, of powder and press and it has to be perfect and the lighting has to look a certain yeah. way. Let that go. Yeah. If you have to do this video in the bathroom, so be it. Let it go. Let yeah. it go. Yeah. Yeah. Stop worrying about people's judgment. You know judgment, how many people yeah. I know, I'm going to start making videos. You have to go to the hairdresser first. Let that go. Let it go. Let go of the, I got to lose 15 pounds before I, do. let that go. Be yourself. Let me tell you something. The best thing I learned is being myself. Yeah. That's the only person I know how to show up as. Be myself. On stage, I learned how to let people laugh, let people yeah. cry, let people yeah. have the truth. Let it go. All of that practicing and five things I'm going to teach you to. Nah! <laughs> I stopped that. Let it go. Yeah. Let it go. Breathe in, breathe out. How it comes out is exactly how it's supposed to come out. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Let it go. I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll take that. Let it go. And what, what, how does, how does success feel to you? Success feels like freedom. It's not money. It's freedom. Yeah. I thought yeah. success was money. It's yeah. freedom. It's the ability to wake up any day of the week or any day of the month or any day of the year and say, I'm free. I don't owe anybody anything and I'm free. Yeah. Um, I love the freedom to be able to choose. I love the freedom to be able to say, for example, I love to cook. 
and you know West Indian food could take forever. Yeah. You gotta start at nine and end at nine PM <laughs> just so you can enjoy some rice, right? Because <laughs> it's just rice. Um and I love the freedom of being able to say, I don't work on Fridays. I cook on Fridays. Yes. Yeah. I love the freedom of being able to say, I'm going to, we're going to cater out for the house on Friday. So we're going to call the restaurant and have them bring in a whole catered. I like, I, I love the freedom. Yeah. Um, I love the freedom of being able to attend my son's school to do anything. He has a, look, he has a, a, a soccer match coming up. Uh, you know, he's now kind of getting into, you know, the, the, the American football league. Right. And, uh, and he knows I'm a soccer girl and I'm like, look, I'm gonna take you out to the, to the match and we're going to do this. And I love the ability to say, I can stay there for four hours and I don't have to work. I could put the phone and leave it in the car and let go. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. And I think success has to start looking for us like freedom. Mm. I love that. Mm. I love to be able to have that flexibility and freedom. Yes, it comes with a cost, but if you pay the price of success now, you'll enjoy the price of freedom later. And I love having that, that ability because my son sees more of his parents than most other kids. Most kids see the backside of their parents. Yes. My son sees his parents every day. And that's a good feeling for us to know that we can support him in the way that we can and give him a life that both myself and my husband didn't grow up having. So mm. I love that level of mm. having freedom. Do you think that has that changed as you've matured? Freedom? Yes. Yeah. Um, because in the beginning, I thought success meant you had things. You had the big yes. house, you had the money, you had the thing. Da, 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 da. And I realized, let me tell you something, things depreciate. You don't even feel it anymore. You're like, oh, okay, so I got the car. Yeah. The car, I see, tear up. <laughs> You're yeah. like, I don't care for this thing anymore. Things don't matter. And so even, here's how weird this is. So I remember when I first started seeing the money and it started coming in, it starts flowing. And this is how people pleasing happens. I go out and buy this German car. I am not into German cars. I'm a race car demon. <laughs> it's what I do. Six speed. This is what I, this is what, and I grew up in that environment. Imagine my uncles were into cars. We grew up in the fountain racing system. Like that's what I do. So I go and I buy this thing and I, I'm driving it and I'm trying to listen to jazz music walking down the street. No, I know. I, eyes are real. So come in. Yeah. So I'm listening to, you know, the harp, <laughs> the orchestra. This is not who I am. Yeah. Right. So I take the car to, this this accurate dealer says, look, I don't care how much you take. Give me for that. Give me that one over there. <laughs> and the guy was like, but I was like, no, you don't understand. This is not me. Take mm. it. I don't want it. I'll give the bank whatever they want for it. Because I wanted the freedom yes. of having what, what fits me. Yeah. So everybody, I think, lives up to a standard of someone else's expectation. And that's what I did. I tried to live up to someone else's expectation. There's nothing that excites me more than a 1987 Acura Integra coming down the road. Like, it actually is a turn on. And I'm like, that's what I want. Oh, goodness. <laughs> so laugh at me all you want, but you don't understand how liberating this is for me. Yeah, you, yeah. you really don't understand. So it laugh and say, why are you driving something so old? Do you know how hard I yeah. worked to be able to yeah. have that? Yeah. Do you yeah. know all my life that's what I ever wanted? You have no clue what this represents for me. This is, doesn't serve you, but it serves me. And yeah. so when I got over the things part of my life and I got into the freedom part, 
I don't, yeah. I didn't have to have anybody else's opinions or acceptance yeah. to do who yeah. I wanted to. Yeah. And not having to explain yourself. Look, it doesn't matter. No. It's not for yeah. you. It's for me. Thanks. It's for me. And that's what yeah. I wanted it for. So when I got the, when I got that, that 87 and I burning ties, everybody's like that, that old piece of crap. I'm like, <laughs> let me tell you something. Okay. <laughs> All I don't understand when I came to this country, this is the biggest thing coming out and I have it now. Yes. I have it 30 something years later, but yeah. it's, it's what I wanted. That yeah. level of freedom is what I wanted. I always wanted it. And now that I have it, I get to dictate my day on my schedule, yeah. my way, you know, and, and it, it makes me very proud to be able to have that. Fabulous. Fabulous. Well, on that note, Carol, we will finish our interview. I have loved every minute, but if our listeners want to connect with you or follow you on social media, how can they do that? Everything at Carol Sankar. It's everything at C-A-R-O-L-S-A-N-K-A-R. So that's my website. Twitter, Facebook, everything is at Carol Sankar. Fantastic. So thank you so much for your time, Carol. It has been thank an you. absolute pleasure. Same here, Miss Janice. Thank you. Well, um, I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. As I said, it was a really fun interview and it was really uplifting to hear it again during the editing process. But if you want to hear more interviews like this, make sure you subscribe to the podcast. You can go back to iTunes, listen to all the other interviews I've done with equally as fabulous women. So until next time, please, wherever you are in the world, stay safe and take care until next time. Remember, if I can, you can, this woman can, take care.